Hey everyone, this is another Patreon preview. This is our part five in our Cybernetics and Labor series. We get to start our conversation about Stafford Beer. We start with a little bit of a story about who he was, and uh, here's a little clip from that. If you want the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It is how we do this show as an entirely listener-supported podcast, and we appreciate that support if you could give it to us. Anyway, here is the clip. Solidarity. And so I should advise my co-hosts to interrupt me often when struck by ideas or questions so that we might find some wider application to what is otherwise basically a very nice story with an upsetting conclusion and then some homework. <laughs> well, that's I feel great. like we're already doing great on the uh, Yeah, I was going to say, parts. we're good yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah, I should have put that earlier in the episode so it feels like I told you to do that and it's not just an emergent <laughs> property of the, the system that we exist in. So. <laughs> This is now um, an instructive lesson at, uh, in that regard. That's right. That's right. So we're real quick. Uh, I just want to briefly cover the life of Stafford Beer. Um, it's not going to be quite as in depth as Wiener because he's not like this crazy whiz kid from the middle of the century. Um, but he's still pretty pretty interesting. Well, I guess he is from the middle of the century. Whatever. Beer was born in Putney, London, in 1926. His father was William John Beer, chief statistician at Lloyd's Register of Shipping. His mother was Doris Ethel Beer, who was born on the same day as his father. Interesting. At age 17, he was expelled from Whitgift School and enrolled for a degree in philosophy at University College London. And I should say that when he has talked about Hegel, which I think is often his shorthand for talking about Marx, which people would be less receptive to, he does seem to understand Hegel very well, which is not something you can say about a lot of people who bring up Hegel. I think it's it's a, it's also just interesting. He's like, Usually when you, at least in the U.S. context, when we hear about people being expelled from high school, <laughs> like that's the end of their education. I love it. He's just like, oh, all right. Well, this school sucks. Time to go to college. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this. I'm going to read much harder books. Well, because who knows what he got expelled for? Pro knowing him, probably mouthing off, probably not being yeah. a bad student. Or just refusing to pay attention because it like it just didn't think whatever they were talking about was interesting. Mm-hmm. So then in 1944, he left to join the army, first as gunner in the Royal Artillery, but he soon received a commission first in the Royal Fusiliers, and then as a company commander in the 9th Gurkha Rifles. He saw service in India and even commanded troops in battle and stayed there until 1947. Upon returning to England, he was assigned to the Human Factors Branch of Operations Research at the War Office. That's a fucking mouthful. In 1949, he was demobilized, having reached the rank of captain. And I think it's also important to note that while he was stationed in India, it appears that Beer developed a connection to spiritual practices that he found there. Uh, and he consequently, despite the fact that later in his life, he's quite explicit about the enormous influence that um, Eastern philosophy and, and religion had had on his work, uh, for many decades, he, he purposefully obscured it so as not to be seen by others as a kook or a crackpot. And he would often just kind of like... Uh, dress normal and present all of his findings as like normal operations research stuff, uh, despite the fact that like deep down he wanted to be the weird old man with a beard who dressed in like flowy, loose fitting clothes and like spoke really slow. Um, <laughs> so 
he appears to have been primarily interested in tantric meditation and yoga, and later in his career disclosed at least a strong influence from the various teachings of Buddhism, Hinduism, and Zen Buddhism in particular. And by the 90s, when he was already a very old man, was openly declaring that these forms of spiritual and philosophical practice had for centuries already contained the necessary information for the kind of harmonious viability that he was attempting to outline. And he's quite explicit about this. Um, the older he gets, the more he's like, the West is dumb. You guys don't understand anything. We come from a bad society. And <laughs> it's not the cool kinds of like principled class analysis that I usually like, but he's still correct. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I always just get a little weir- wary of mm-hmm. when like white dudes go to India and then come back real obsessed with Buddhism and, and, and stuff. It's like, look, if meditation and stuff help, you, you know, with mindfulness or being centered or just, you know, getting through your day. Great. Fantastic. Do it. But there's, which I think in his case, it seems like that's mostly what it is. Uh, but then there's also all the people that get really weird about Mm -hmm. it and get all fetishistic about it. Like that's where the whole Aryan concept came from. Yeah, Yeah. Like I'm not, not at all tying this into that, but just the broader trend of euros getting super obsessed with like Eastern religion with only a very surface level understanding of it. Now in the case of Stafford beer, I'm guessing it doesn't seem like that's the case, He likes, but it always just sends off those alarm bells. Yeah. (laughs) And and look, that's totally fair. And during a lot of his interviews, like the own, some of the weird sketchy shit that he says, some of it is just like lack of class analysis, normal stuff. Any Marxist could pick out. And then some of it is like, he was kind of into a lot of weird new agey stuff. He even used the yeah. phrase new age, like positively, but it seems like he was into it in a much more like he was actually into it in the way that people pretend they're into it, where it's more sure. of a philosophical pursuit. And then it turns out they actually do believe like a bunch of kooky shit. But again, totally understand your skepticism, especially because he wasn't just in India. He was there in the British army. Right. So it's like, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a weird fucking colonizer thing happening there. Um, I did notice that. Well, and that seems like uh, maybe a, a little bit of a trend with some of these cyberneticians is being in the military and like that's their way of seeing the world. Well, and it, interestingly, it's a little, this was, a little strange in that in that way. This was that was bro- a lot more common back. Then, yeah. Though, well, and too. also this was brought up on a, on one of the cybernetics podcasts I was listening to, and they did highlight that basically Wiener and Beer were the only of the like founding cyberneticians who actually came from military backgrounds. Um, pretty much everybody else came from just like various laboratories and mathematics mm-hmm. departments at colleges and stuff. So, um, uh, so it is it's like, just, uh, it's, it's a bias towards what we've covered. I get it. Yeah. It's literally just selection bias basically. But I mean, who knows their, their work was primarily important to the kind of stuff we're talking about. Maybe it has to do with the fact that like in many cases as leftists, our critiques of militarism draw us to the kind of analysis that like we're, we're good at understanding how militarists think. So like there's a, who fucking knows there's probably some dialectical explanation for it. What? I mean, I, I think it's as simple as just they, these are all really smart people working in specifically advanced technology mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And what does Western society funnel those people into? 
the military. Yeah. Well, and like, to be fair, both of them that we've talked about, Wiener and Beer, were both, both came out of their military experiences. Like, that was awful. I'm completely changed and I don't want anybody to do what I just did anymore. Yeah. So. Right. The correct reaction. <laughs> yes. Um, and we still see that happen to soldiers to this day. So yeah. maybe there, there should be a way to get them that information beforehand. I'm not sure. Listen, listen to Eyes Left, everybody. That's true. It's a good show. Um, but so I talked a lot about his progression into the 70s and 90s, but we're going to go back to the 40s now. So resuming the traditional, the conventional timeline here in 1947 when he returned to England. And I don't know if this is possibly influenced by his spiritual journey that he went on in India, but he stopped using his first name of Anthony. His name is Anthony Stafford Beer when he was about 21 and persuaded his brother Ian Beer to sign a statement saying that he would not use the name Stafford, which he was also given as a middle name. I, I will say that's like... So weird. It's so weird to make your brother like sign a document agreeing <laughs> not to change their name so that they will like... He's your brother. Can't you just be like, hey, don't don't harsh my vibe, man. I, I also think like if, if your name is Anthony Stafford and your brother's name is Ian Stafford and you just start going by Stafford, he's not going to start just going by Stafford. Yeah. Just for practicality's <laughs> sake. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, well, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe his brother was always kind of being a little shit to him when they were growing up. <laughs> Who fucking just knows? Like, All right. I know what you're thinking. How about a way to fuck with me? Now don't do it again this time. <laughs> Right. So then um, shortly after that, Beer began attending, as we said in previous episodes, many of the famous Macy conferences on cybernetics from 1946 to 1953, which were also attended by Wiener and Ashby at various times. I'm not sure if Beer and Wiener ever made it to the same conference. I think the timeline doesn't quite line up on that, but I know Ashby and Beer attended several conferences together and were fast friends. Um Ashby became his friend in particular, who he who Beer later described as, quote, meticulous to the point of being maddening, as well as, quote, a very good friend. So um, I feel like you have to to make the uh, the homeostat. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> Imagine the hours you've spent in front of audio mixes being like this fucking snare sounds like shit, except you can't get a magnetic field to keep a copper needle in a trough. That sounds like <laughs> hell. Pure yeah. hell. Um, so in 1956, Stafford joined United Steel and persuaded the management to fund an operational research group, the Department of Operations Research and Cybernetics, which, unsurprisingly, Beer headed up. This was based in Cyberhouse, and they installed a Ferranti Pegasus computer, the first in the world, which was dedicated to management cybernetics. So even though this field was not like properly born in a published text until the early seventies when he would publish brain of the firm, you can see that beer had already been working on his idea of management cybernetics for two decades by that point. Uh, in 61, he left United Steel to start an OR consultancy, operational research consultancy in partnership with Roger Edison called Sigma. He had a bunch of Sigma males running around. Uh, <laughs> science in general management is what that stands for. He then left Sigma in 66 to work for a client of Sigma, the International Publishing Corporation. And then he left IPC in, in 1970 to work as an independent consultant, focusing on his growing interest in social systems. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of guys during this era would not hop around like this. They would get one job in their 30s and then they would die in that office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think that's to go along with the trend of making everything an acronym 
smushed together. <laughs> like, it's funny that they name their thing Sigma or whatever, but I think it's funnier that if you go back, he had... <laughs> He had U.S. Steel create the Dork Department. Yes. <laughs> the Department of Operations Research and Cybernetics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't That's even funny. see that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, the, the D-O-R-C. <laughs> the fucking Dork Department. Eat shit, IBM, in your dreams. Uh, <laughs> when was the uh, famous IBM operations research thing going? That was earlier, right? Like, they started in the 20s. Right. Yeah. Well, this was also this was the heyday of like Bell Labs. Sure. So this is when like every giant U.S. monopoly company is running their own like incubator research lab, and now instead what they do, what they figured out, is much cheaper. Because if you do that, then you have to pay all these scientists and stuff full time, and they like are valuable, and they might want like good pay and stuff, and that sucks. That costs a lot of money. It's a lot cheaper to just have like a venture capital firm that throws a little bit of money at a bunch of startups and then whichever one succeeds, you just buy it. So that's how they do it now at most places. Nice. They're just automating their system for, Oh wait, we're, we are not to the systems yet. Not even close. (laughs) Um, yeah, but they've just built a robot that takes all of their OR kind of like forward thinking sensory input and just says like, actually just do the same thing over and over and over again. Cause it has a high enough success rate that we can do it without thinking about it. That sounds awful. That means you have basically just like a lobotomized like investment scheme that's just operating in like a like a gray goo capacity, just like well, juicing up anything that will take an input. It's where startup culture comes from. It's the whole genesis of it. That's mm-hmm. all that is, is, is companies outsourcing research because they're like, well, if we have an in-house research firm, then when they fail, we've just been spending all this money on failure. Mm. And that sucks to our bottom line. Oh, except uh, guys, failure is so important. You have so much useful information now. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but the capitalists don't want that. They just want the profits. They don't no. want any, like learning from failure for them is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We just want the success. Let's just skip to the success. And it doesn't matter that by doing that, you know, you're leaving the wreckage of dozens and hundreds of other companies in their wake and all the people whose lives that upends when all those things, you know, go boom and bust at an even faster rate than the normal uh, capitalist cycle because, well, who cares? Yeah, that's happening to those people. That's not happening to us, the board uh, members. (laughs) And this is a very interesting thing that Beer talks about during this couple decades of like basically just consultancy work that he had been doing um, for various corporations where it's like the corporation hires you. They have a specific problem that they need to solve within their company. You assess the situation. You give them a solution that requires quite a bit of rearranging things and will probably be fairly expensive, but has a pretty good shot at fixing their problem and saving the company from whatever they're scared of. And then they pay you your very exorbitant consulting fee and they stick it in a drawer Yep, (laughs) (laughs) and they do nothing with it because it would be, it, it scares the shit out of them. They have, they, they have the, a pants shitting response. They're like, Oh, fixing the problem is scarier than letting it happen. And then they become okay with letting it happen. Yeah. So at this point we are getting to uh, one of our favorite eras, the kind of thing that we are really excited to talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yes, that's right. So we are reaching the 70s. So this is right around the time that he is writing Brain of the Firm. And he is being approached by Fernando Flores in mid-1971, who was at that time a high-ranking member of the Chilean Production Development Corporation, CORFO, uh, which is the acronym in Spanish, I imagine, uh, in the newly elected socialist government of Salvador Allende. And he was asked to be there for advice on applying his cybernetic theories to the management of the state-run sector of the Chilean economy. So this led to Beer's involvement in the unfortunately never completed, never totally completed Cybersyn project, which aimed to use computers and a telex-based communication network to allow the government to maximize production while preserving the autonomy of workers and lower management. Although Cybersyn was abandoned after Allende's death, Beer continued to work in the Americas, consulting for the governments of Mexico, Uruguay, and Venezuela at various times, although never taking on a national economic management project again. He did work in a lot of different municipalities, states, and firms within state sectors, but I don't think he ever got another shot at pulling the big lever on a national economy, so. Who can kill a general in his bed? Overthrow dictators if they're red. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can buy a government so cheap? Change a cabinet without a squeak. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can train gorillas by the dozens? Send them out to kill their untrained cousins. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can get a budget that's so great? Who will be the 51st state? Who has got the secret of service? The one that makes the other service nervous. What's your name, man? CIA man. Take the sugar from its sack Pour in LSD and put it back Fucking amen CIA man Who can mine the harbors Nicaragua Out hit all the hitmen of Chicago Fucking amen CIA man Who can be so overtly covert? Sometimes even covertly overt. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who's the agency well known to God? The one that copped his staff and copped his rod. Fucking amen. CIA Fucking amen. CIA man. Fucking amen. CIA man. CIA man. CIA man. CIA man. CIA man. 
C. Amen. C. Amen. C. Amen.